chapter 1, verse number 14, and we're going to read again uh, the first verses there of that chapter in John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and uh, the title of the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ is, you can't overemphasize the importance of it in the Bible. When you really think that through and, and, and considered about how, you, how do you know about God? What do you know about God? What do you know what's truth? It's through the Word. And he calls himself the Word. And when somebody attacks the Bible and the, the veracity of the Bible, the accuracy of the Bible, what would they be attacking? When they cast doubt on the accuracy of the Bible, what would they be cast doubt on? Just, you just well be honest with yourself. You're casting doubt on him who is called the Word. It's dangerous business, I'm telling you. And you may not understand it, but it is a church killer. It is a faith killer. And it's serious business. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. And the Word was God. Jehovah Witnesses have got all kinds of ways to try to make that say what it doesn't say. But it says what it says. The Word was God. Then in verse number 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh... And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's some things tonight that I want us to really hammer down on, but we're going to review now. Guys, if you'll go back to that tabernacle, we're going to look at it and, uh, and take off again. And I'm going to just review real quickly this evening on that uh, about the, the tabernacle. And here's the deal. In the Old Testament, this tabernacle, it foreshadowed John 1.14. And it pictured Jesus dwelling among us and dwelling in us. And so when you look at it and everything about it, and by the way, I don't think you can exhaust the tabernacle and all of its uh, application to Christ and to the church and to the individual believer. But again, this camp was there. It was the center of that camp and all the Israelites camped around about it in a specific order that God ordained. So anyway, when it says the word is made flesh and dwelt among us, now you and I have this earthly tabernacle and he dwells among us, dwells within us. Okay. So this morning we said this, that the, 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 we got these 10 ways that the tabernacle foreshadowed the word made flesh and dwelling among us. So number one, this morning we said the site of the tabernacle where it was placed. It was placed in a, a, a mean, rough, place. And, and uh, this world is a mean, rough place. And uh, it talked about the vipers and all that this morning and uh, the roughness of it. The second thing we said where it was, uh, that was the splendor of this, uh, of this tabernacle. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to preach. And Lord, I pray you forgive me my sin. Wash me afresh and new. And I pray fill me with the spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, it be a vessel for your use tonight. And you speak through me. I pray, God, that Christ would be seen. I pray that I would decrease and he would increase. And I pray that folks would see Jesus tonight. And he'd become more precious to them than when they walked in this building. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We talked about the splendor of the tabernacle in that inside it was this glorious, beautiful, beautiful thing inside. I still wish we'd build a tabernacle down here. I'm serious as I be with you. I don't know if I'll live long enough to see all, all of my dreams and visions, but time's running out on me. But I'll tell you right now, boy, if we could make that where people walked in and the internal and what we've talked about, how beautiful Jesus is 
internally. And we're talking about how that we ought to be, our beauty ought to be internally. The, the beauty of Je- let there's an old song, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. And uh, so it was internal. God's interested on the internal. God doesn't save the body first, the soul second, and the spirit third. He saves the spirit, then the soul, and the body at resurrection. And so he starts with our spirit. Uh, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We talked about these three sections. Here's the outer court. Here's the holy place. And back here was the most holy place. This speaks of your spirit. This speaks of your soul. And this speaks of your body. And, uh, and so uh, God uh, starts with our spirit. He knows that the internal person is what really matters. All my externals are nothing if the internal is not right. Man, Jesus talked about the Pharisees. He said, you're whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Just flip opposite of what God wants. God wants us to be pure on the inside, truthful on the inside. He wants us to be true men, true women. Be what we claim we are. By the grace of God. Not that we're somebody special or nothing like that, but by the grace of God. You know, if I claim to be a Christian, I'll be honest about it. I'll not be putting on the dog, the old timers used to say. And part of that is just being honest about our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth not in us. And when we sin as Christians, let's just be, all God asks of us is to be honest about it. Amen. That's all he asks about it. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso uh, uh, confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy, the Bible says. So we talked about that inward glory of God inside, that Jesus Christ's glory, his glory inside. And on the outside, there was no beauty that we should desire him. There's badger skins out there. And he walked up there and said, well, you know, what in the world is that? Not very pretty. Let me just give you how this affects uh, Christianity in this, in this nation. By and large, church facilities are glorious. Stained glass. I mean, the money is spent. Now, I'm not against really taking care of God's property and building it well. But I am against extravagance and outward glory. And you got these beautiful churches if you ain't careful, they're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Full of corruption, immorality, crookedness, lying, cheating, social networking, all kinds of junk going on. And one of the great truths about this tabernacle is, and you know, when those pagans saw that, they couldn't see any beauty. You can, you can see the outward, that's, right here's your outward piece right here. This, this is the outer covering. Sometime we'll talk about there. I think there was four coverings that covered the proper, proper of the tabernacle. But anyway, that was the second thing. God wants internal beauty, and then he works outward from that. Number three tonight, we'll take off here. This, this uh, tabernacle and its presence in their midst was supernatural. Uh, put up Exodus 25, verse 32. And I would, if I were you, I would turn in your Bible to Exodus 25, 32. Exodus 25 is your big chapter on the tabernacle uh, in the Old Testament, but there's a lot of ch- chapters about it. But 25 is, is the big one. And in Exodus 25 and in verse number uh, 22, the Bible says something. Now, I would underline this in your Bible. You just don't meet God anywhere, anyway. You just don't commune with God any old place, any old way. He said, and there, where? At the, Ark of the, at the Ark of the Covenant, there at this veil, there I will meet with thee. 
Now you listen, if he said it's there, it's nowhere else. You and I can worship God in spirit and truth. I can be, I can be in the woods. I can be driving down the road. I can be out on the farm. I can be here in church. I can worship God in spirit and truth. But the there that's there is before the mercy seat. Of, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. But how do we get there? There is in the presence of God. How did they get there? Through Christ. And I'll tell you, that took a supernatural thing. We're talking here about the fact that how does Reg Kelly, can, first of all, meet with God, be reconciled to God Almighty, and commune with Him? It's through this tabernacle system. It is by the supernatural work of God where God became man. That's a supernatural. The virgin birth is a supernatural act. It's a supernatural occurrence. And the, the, this tabernacle, the whole deal about it was a supernatural deal. It was designed of God, not of man. And it's a supernatural thing. In the person of Jesus Christ, you and I are able to meet with God, commune with God, and worship God. But it's in the tabernacle, the person of Jesus Christ. It took a supernatural birth and incarnation, God in the flesh, for you and I to be able to meet with God and commune with God. Amen. Supernatural. And it's something God does, not you and I. Amen. Worship, by the way, our access to God is a supernatural working of God Almighty. You and I had no way to get to him. Amen. We were cut off by our sins and our transgressions. We had no way to get to him. And the tabernacle as a picture of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh is that is a supernatural thing. Hey, how many would agree that for a virgin to conceive right. by the Holy Ghost is a supernatural event? Let me tell you something else that's a supernatural event, and that's your salvation. Amen. You were, the same thing happened. The Holy Ghost came, brooded upon your heart and upon your soul, and, and birthed a new person in Jesus Christ. So your salvation is supernatural. The natural man cannot please God. The natural man cannot be saved. He can't save himself. Salvation is a supernatural occurrence. And we don't need to forget this. God's salvation and our approach to him, our worship to him, our access to him is supernaturally provided by God Almighty through Jesus Christ incarnate in the flesh. And I know some people say, well, I just don't get that much out of it. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, all right. So that would be number three. Number four is uh, the seeking at the tabernacle. They had to come here to get Christ. And this is kind of oh, maybe overrunning this, but I, I want to do it. How and who through, uh, whom through do we get to God? It's through the Lord Jesus. John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What? And no man does what? Come to the Father except by me. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Put up the tabernacle again, guys, if you don't care there. And again, the whole picture of this whole thing is Jesus Christ. He is the door. He's the door. He is the sacrifice. He's the priest. He's the word. He's the light. He's the bread. He's the mediator. He's the veil. He's God. And it's all through Christ. That's, that's what it's telling you. He's our all and in all. That's what your Bible said in the New Testament. He's our all and in all. I'm telling you right now, I, my flesh 
is so wicked that it just curls around in human goodness once in a while. And, you know, human merit. It's like a worm. Just wants to sniggle in somehow or another and think that I deserve or merit something some, some about my access to God and my relationship to God. And it's, it's rot. I have nothing. It's all Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 55, verse number six, says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. If you're going to get to God, that's how you had to go. You could not go. By the way, Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, said, if any man tries to come up any other way, he's the same as a thief and a robber. You're trying to steal God's glory. You're trying to steal God's power. God says you've got to come through Jesus Christ to worship him. And so when, whenever, it, here's the truth about it is, anybody in the world that claims they're worshiping God and doesn't come through Jesus Christ, they're not worshiping God, they're fooling themselves. Right. And I'll just tell you tonight, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, and you name it, any, I don't care what name tag, I don't care if they put Baptist or Pentecostal, I don't care what name you put on it. If you're not coming through Christ, you're not getting to God. That's period. That's, that's how, what it's teaching us there. Now, here's a big one. Number five, in Exodus 25, verse 22, he said, there will I meet with thee. So that's how we're going to meet God. And he says, there will I commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. Now, he said, I will commune with thee. The old song says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. The old Christians knew that you had to read your Bible. The, the, the old song says, what more can he say than to you he has said? All over America, people are wanting some kind of supernatural God talk to me. But they won't even read their Bibles. And the old timers wrote that song and they said, what more can he say? I mean, if you won't read the Bible and accept it and, and breathe that into your heart and soul by the Holy Spirit, you want God to tell you something about what to do next week in business and you ain't been reading his word. I don't think you're going to have much luck at it. And here's what he's saying. The speaking of the tabernacle. This is where God spoke to them. Well, get this. How was God going to speak to people? How was he going to speak to them? Through Jesus Christ. The tabernacle. He's not going to speak to you or me any other way. Somebody tells me, somebody, well, I had an angel come down and did this and had this and I heard this and I had this and I had this. God says the only place he'll communion with you is through Jesus Christ. You're not going to get anything from God except through Jesus Christ. The speaking, I want you to take your, take your uh, put up here Hebrews 1. 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2, and mark this verse down if you want to, because this will tell you, remember the Old Testament tabernacle, picture of Christ, tabernacled in flesh, God in the flesh, that's what it's a picture of, and God spoke to the people through that tabernacle, right? That's how he spoke to them. Okay, look at Hebrews 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by what? His son. his son. Now his son's called what in our text? The word. You just got to read the Bible. I was talking to some people here recently and I, actually this conversation comes up quite a bit. I do not want people dependent upon me. 
If there's anything my heart's desire can be of this church to be a people who read the Bible Amen. and they could spot it when Reggie was said something wasn't scriptural. Amen. I want you there. I don't want you to depend on me. I don't want you to think I'm not God Almighty. I don't know it all. I ain't got it all figured out. But I want you to have, be so that no matter who blows out in your life, no matter what happens in your life, you're still in the book. This book is still the basis and God speaks to you through the book. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You take your Bible, get alone, and you whisper before you start reading. Say, Lord, I want you to speak to me this morning. I need to hear from you. Take your pen. Open that book up. Get you a Bible reading plan. He has spoken to us through his son. His son is the word. And let's say God speak to my heart. How many has ever been reading your Bible and God just tenderly and sweetly spoke to you? Boy, I'm telling you what. That's one of the most blessed things there is in the world. And I grieve in my heart because American people and even church folks aren't reading their Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. I'm going to show you a little bit how the word should be the center of our lives. It should come before anything else. Well, let's keep going here. Now, the uh, tabernacle as a picture of Jesus in the flesh is also by the statutes that were in the tabernacle. Notice in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, I'll meet with thee and commune with thee from above the mercy seat. By the way, God deals with you and I on a mercy seat basis. If you won't go to the mercy seat, all you're going to get is a judgment seat. There's two kinds of ways you're going to meet God, either through mercy or judgment. You can meet God in mercy through Jesus Christ. But without Jesus Christ, you're going to meet him in judgment. Where do we worship? At the mercy seat. The older I get, I'm glad he said his mercy is new every morning. Every, amen? Because I need it every morning. I, I think I might have should have said every hour, every 15 minutes I need his mercy. But anyway, watch this. From between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which... Uh, uh, but, Upon all things I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. I'll meet with thee, commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. All right. You say, Reggie, what's talking about here? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number one. Deuteronomy 10. We'll do this here. I, I may not do a very good job of it, but bless God, I'm going to try to preach the Bible and preach the Christ of the Bible. And if you don't enjoy it or don't appreciate it or don't like it, I can't help it. Go find some preacher that you can get something out of. Amen? I, I don't know. Because boy, sometimes I get up here preaching, I battle it. You know, you wonder, well, everybody think you're just crazy? Or, you know what you ought to think? That, that guy, he's in love with the Lord. He just thinks Jesus is everything. You got it. You finally got it. <laughs> He's everything. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Everybody there say amen. amen. Well, that's weak. All righty. De Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number one. At that time, the Lord said unto me, Moses here, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, come up unto me in the mount and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write, God says, I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And thou shalt put them where? In the ark. Ooh, mercy. Before long, I'm probably going to preach on something I just hate to preach on. And that's anger. I don't like preaching on stuff I'm guilty of. But Moses is your Bible study on a man with an anger problem. That man got mad every time he turned around. He did. 
And if you're not careful, no matter care whether you're man or woman, husband or wife, if you're not careful, you'll have a problem with anger all your life. It may be reflected in different ways in different people, but you have a problem with it. Now, Moses came down from the mount the first time. He has the two tables, right? And he hears them down there dancing and prancing, having a contemporary worship service. That's that's Deuteronomy 32 is your first contemporary service in the Bible, in the world. He takes those and he got mad because they wasn't doing it right. (laughs) And he throws the law down and he does what? Breaks them. That's a picture of that we've all broke the law. He didn't even get down from the mountain before he broke them. And you don't hardly get out of bed till you break them. Right? So what God say do? Moses, get two more stones. Go up top of the mountain. I'm going to ride on them. Now, Moses, I don't want you packing them down the mountain. He, if you'll catch it, he said, make me an ark of wood. And he said, now what are you going to do with them? He said, what do you want me to do with them? He said, here's what you do with it. What did he do with the second set of tables? He put them in the ark. Hmm. The ark is who? Jesus Christ. There's three arks in the Bible. Noah's ark is Savior from the wrath, the Savior from the wrath of God. Moses' ark here is to save you from the condemnation of the law. What's the other ark? Huh? Yeah, Moses' ark in the, in the Nile River will save you from the, uh, from the devil. And the three arks are a picture of all that God saves you from. So from the wrath of God, saves you from the, uh, the devil and from the law. And all three, of them, all three of them get you, but there's an ark to save you. Well, Jesus Christ is the ark. That's whole Bible teaching. Moses got in the ark. He was in Christ. Okay. So here's this ark, the ark of the covenant. God says, Moses, I ain't even going to trust you to carry him nowhere. God isn't trusting you to keep the law. Because you know what you're going to, isn't this amazing? Moses was so religious. He was so fundamental that when he saw somebody else doing it right, he threw the law down. If you're not careful, we sin in condemning other sin. Does that make sense? The Bible said, be angry and sin not. The Bible said, if you don't rule your own spirit, you're worse than a man with a city that walls down. How many knows that what anger costs? I'll tell you right now, I've got a message I preached years ago called the acid of anger. If you can find it, you ought to listen to it. It, I tell you on there what anger cost me in my, a lot of what anger cost me in my life. Anger's cost me more than, than I could ever count. He didn't get to go in the promised land over it. Those people, I'll tell you how much God guards his holiness and guard, guards his word. God had told them the first time to smite the rock and the water would come out as a picture of Jesus Christ, the rock being smitten and the water of life coming out. All right. They got up there again and the people murmured and God told Moses, speak to the rock. And the people's murmuring and complaining. And old pastor Moses said, I'm sick of this bunch, a griping and a groaning. And he reared back and he smote the rock the second time. 
And God said, that just kept you, watch this, that just kept you out of the promised land. Well, Lord, there's this dropping and a groaning. I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm tired of putting up with people. Uh, Lord, I'm tired of putting up with my husband. I'm tired of putting up with my wife. I'm tired of putting up with my mom and dad. I'm tired of putting up with people. Smiting that rock was saying that you crucified Christ twice. The Bible said once. He's once offered for sin. And what he did, watch this, when he smote that rock, number one, he disobeyed God's orders. And God said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Moses, I'd rather you just do what I tell you to do than put on a big dog show religiously. That'll preach. But Moses, in anger, lost control of his spirit, smote the rock, violated the doctrine Biblical doctrine of the once crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God said that kept you out of the promised land. And it all come because of anger. Anger's got a serpentile tail that just goes way back underneath the log. And so God didn't even trust Moses with the tablets. He said, you put him where? In the ark. That ark is Christ. And so what the picture of the tabernacle here is, is that Jesus Christ has kept the law perfectly and never broke it. Now you think about that. Jesus Christ, number one, could not have been the perfect lamb of God to be sacrificed for our sins had he ever sinned. Now I'm going to be honest with you tonight. Brother Dean, this right here, I have a, it, 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 it goes way down and reaches into my ability to have faith. And yet I believe it. I don't doubt it for a minute, but because I know myself and I know other people and I've lived 69 years, I don't, I don't, I don't believe nobody is very holy. Amen. I don't believe anybody's what they put on to be. But I want to tell you this much. Jesus Christ never sinned. Not one time did he have an unholy thought, a sinful thought. Not one time did he say an unholy word. Not one time did he do an unholy deed. Men, listen to me. Not one time did he lust after a woman. Ladies, not one time did he have an immoral thought in his mind. Not one time. And that's the message that God wants you to get out of this thing. He kept the law perfectly and never broke it. And today and tonight in the heavenlies, which that's a picture of our Savior there, qualified, risen, propitiation for our sins because he never sinned. And by the way, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. What a Savior. Amen. And when I say that's hard for me to grasp, I mean it. I, d- I don't doubt it. It's just, is, is anybody else a little bit like this? I mean, God, is it possible that this man, Jesus Christ, never sinned? That he was in a body of flesh like I am and he never sinned? He is so holy. 
that he walked among us and lived among us and he never, never sinned in thought, word, deed, action, attitude, motive. He is God Almighty in the flesh. That's the miracle of it in the midst of them. The tabernacle in the midst of them. And it's God. It's his righteousness. That's why, listen, if we could just grasp for three seconds how holy God is and how much our sin, what our sin did to us and what it took to repay that sin debt, it'd blow us away. We don't think on that very much. And this is what our biggest problem is. We bring God down to our level. We think he's like us and he's not like us. He's absolutely holy and without sin. Anyway, I don't know. I hope everybody gets something out of this. Once you go to Hebrews chapter 9, he kept the law, never violated it. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to go through this a little bit. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. We've been talking about the, Jesus, the high priest, after, after the order of Melchizedek. And again, the tabernacle, Hebrews chapter 9. I hope you'll turn your Bible there. Everybody there will say amen. amen. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. What is that worldly sanctuary? Put the tabernacle back up there again, guys, could you? What is, see that word worldly sanctuary? That's this right here. That's this right here. That worldly, he's talking about this. For there was a what? Tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread. That's right in here. Candlestick, the table, and the showbread. There was also an altar of incense in there. Now he's teaching about the priesthood of Jesus Christ here, which is called the sanctuary. And the second, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, that's inside where you see the glory of God going up there, where the Ark of the Covenant was which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna. And if you go back to the Old Testament, God told Moses to take some of the manna and put it inside the Ark, which is a picture of Jesus Christ, our bread. And by the way, and then Aaron's rod that budded. You remember the rebellion that was in the camp? And they said, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. God speaks to us. You're not the only one God talks to. And they had a read, and God told them, said, you get 12 uh, 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 rods, limbs, and you lay them out there. And he said, the one that buds will be the one I'm going to honor. And the only one that budded was Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded is a picture of Jesus Christ's resurrection. If you cut off a rod and lay it out there and it supernaturally buds and has life in it, that's what, it's a picture of Jesus Christ and the rest of them were dead. It's a picture of is how, God is simply saying this, the resurrection is the way you know who the true God is. Right. Did you know Muhammad doesn't even claim to be resurrected? Right. Amen. Joseph Smith doesn't claim to be resurrected. Jesus, the resurrection is the proof and the power of Christianity. Amen. And it's the proof and the power in a truly saved people. If God saved us, he had given us a spiritual resurrection. We're a new man alive in Christ. And we dwell in him and he dwells in us. And it's his life living through us. So he had to Aaron's rod that budded. Now look at the next thing. And the tables of the covenant. So the tables of the covenant was in there. All right. Now let's keep reading. And over it, the cherubims of the glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. 
but into the second, now watch this, into the second, into the most holy place, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered. This is called the day of atonement in the Old Testament. When he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. This is very important. These high priests offered, first of all, blood sacrifice for their, their own sins and then for the sins of the people. And so he's going somewhere with this to try to make these Hebrew people understand who Jesus Christ is and what the tabernacle was about. Verse number eight, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, into the presence of God, was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. While that thing was yet standing, the way to God in the presence of God was not made. How many knows when it opened up? When Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and took his own blood and sprinkled on the true mercy seat in heaven, the way was opened up. That's why people who died saved before the cross and before he put his blood on the true tabernacle were in a place called paradise, not heaven. And after he put his blood on the mercy seat, the way was made into the presence of God and the Bible talks about he led captivity captive. That's why when Jesus gave the story of Lazarus and the rich man, there was a great gulf between those people. The saved people were in a part, part called paradise, lost people in a part called hell. And when Jesus uh, did that, he brought them out. David, Abraham, Moses, all those people were in paradise. Paradise was taken to heaven. But it wasn't until Jesus made the way with his own blood. God's holiness and wrath against sin had to be propitiated with a blood sacrifice of a perfect lamb. And Jesus Christ did that. And when he did that, we had access to God through Jesus Christ. That's how you get to heaven. Amen. That's just a fact. Well, verse number nine the first tabernacle there, which was a figure. That's that tabernacle. For the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. That's talking about the time of when Jesus fulfilled. But watch verse 11. But Christ becoming in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. There's a true tabernacle. This tabernacle was a picture of what's in heaven. And God is saying that Christ uh, is a pre high priest of good things by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this building. And watch verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. That's what they did in the Old Testament at this, when they came in here, right here. When you brought your family in and you brought your lamb or your bullock, the, the priest would tell the father, if they was of the family, take your hands and lay it on the head of that animal. Now, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I sometimes, Brother Van, wish that we had to do that for just a little while. Then I think it would mean so much more to us if you had to take the best lamb you've got, the best calf you've got, and brought it in there and, 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 and declared before God, I'm a sinner, I deserve death, but I have brought a substitute. And you laid your hands on the head of that substitute and leaned 
and the scene, the picture was you're a transfer, the sin, your sins is being transferred to an innocent substitute. And when that happened, the priest took his knife, he slit the throat, the blood was caught in a laver, that blood was taken and sprinkled, and a substitute had died in your place. Now here's what I'm going to tell you. This is why I think having a pictorial tabernacle would be beneficial in us getting the gospel out to people. Because if you could bring families into a tabernacle out here, and you brought that family in, and we had a lamb sitting there and a, and a, and a priest with a knife, and you told those kids, this is how they understand. This, God was saying, this is how it really is in the heavenlies. <clears throat> Somebody has to die. Somebody's blood has to be shed. And I'm going to tell you this. When those kids saw that blood squirt out of that, that lamb, when they saw that blood gush out of his throat, when they saw his legs start begin to tremble and he hit, claps and hit the ground and he flips over like your deer you shot and starts kicking his legs and he kicks his leg and then finally he dies. Those kids ain't going to forget that. It ain't like just going to church and sitting in the seat and singing Jesus loves me this I know. Amen. You really went to church then. You really went and understood what it meant to worship God and what your Savior did for you. Right. He died in your place. And if it hadn't been for him, you would be the one dying. And this stuff is so important. That, I mean, that, <clears throat> Did you know what? There are thousands and tens of thousands of Christian people in America don't know anything about the tabernacle. They don't even know it exists in the Bible. Don't have a clue what it's even about. Things a bunch of old-fashioned stories. Boring, dull, don't mean anything. And it's sad. Anyway, <clears throat> let's continue on. Boy, man, listen, watch verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by what? His own blood. When Mary saw Jesus at the tomb, he told her, touch me not, for I've not yet ascended to my father. And you go back to the Old Testament, that high priest, that priest could not be touched. Jesus Christ said, you can't touch me. He, was, he, he had entered into his high priest ministry and he went to heaven. When he came back down from heaven after having put it there, he walked in among the disciples and what did he say? Thomas said, he doubted, right? What did Jesus say? Touch me. That told you a great truth. That the blood had been put down on the mercy seat in heaven. And the wrath of God against sinners had been satisfied and the sacrifice was complete and accepted in heaven. Man, somebody needs to preach on the blood, on the blood of Jesus. It's the only blood in the world that God ever accepts for the payment of sin. And God accepted the payment for that sin. Well, let's continue reading. By his own blood, he entered in how many times? Once into the holy place, having obtained what? Put that up on the up on the deal. Everybody needs to see this. What kind of redemption did Jesus get? Eternal redemption for who? If your redemption is eternal, what's that mean? I want you to look at this. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained. We are purchased. You are not your own. We don't belong to ourselves. It's not our money. It's not our house. It's not our car. Right. Amen. <laughs> it's not our church. He said, I will build my church. It's his church. He's building it. 
Every, the earth and the, the fullness thereof is God's. But he obtained something for us with his blood. What is it? Somebody ought to shout, amen. Somebody ought to say, bless God Almighty. Amen. If I ever get to where as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this doesn't excite my soul, I ought to quit preaching. That's the honest truth. Amen. He obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. You better be glad. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkleth the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying the flesh. He's going back to the Old Testament and knows all that ritual they went through. Look at this, verse 14. How much more Amen. shall the blood of Christ, Amen. who through the eternal spirit, by the way, that tells you God don't ever do nothing except through the spirit of God. He ain't going to do nothing in this church except through the spirit of God. He ain't going to save you except through the spirit. He ain't going to sanctify you except through the spirit. He's not going to purify you. He's not going to fix your marriage except through the spirit. He's not going to fix your problems except through the spirit. Everything God does, he created this world by his spirit. He offered his son through the spirit. He raised him from the dead through the spirit. Well, anyway, I'm getting wound up on that. Anyway. He said, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself? How? How did he offer himself? Yeah, everybody, are we still in church? Yeah, how did he offer himself? Without spot. Not one spot. Without spot to God. Purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. God says, if you ever get a hold of this, you'll quit playing church. You'll quit doing dead works. You'll have something inside you that says, I want to serve God and I want to live for eternity, not time. Amen. It'll make you come into church and serve the living God and quit being dead. Amen. Amen. That's why I can't stand. I want to tell you something. If I'm serving the living God, I ought to be living. Amen. Amen. Verse 15, for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions, that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You know what he's saying? I paid for all those sins back then and I paid for all those sins coming on down the road. He paid for them all. Well, look there and he said, uh, verse number 16, for where a testament is, there must also necessity be the death of a testator. Now you know good and well if you've got a will tonight and uh, you say, well, I want so-and-so to get this, but guess what? Ain't he getting it till he die. Oh, Lord, help my mom and daddy to die so I can get my inheritance. That's, that's what some people seem to be a praying. But what he's teaching here is that we have the inheritance because he did die. The test, look, look what it says. Where a testament is, there must also of necessity, verse 16, be the death of the testator. And that happened. And Jesus Christ died. And you and I are now inheritors. For a testament is a force after men are dead, Right? You've got a will out here tonight or a trust or whatever it is. It doesn't come into force till after you've died. This is the testament of Jesus Christ. He had to die and he did. Otherwise, it's no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. But for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the law according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Everything. Everything. Hey, folks, every part of that tabernacle was sprinkled with blood and even the priest. Everything's through the blood. No salvation apart from the blood. 
No redemption apart from the blood. No reconciliation apart from the blood. Verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary. <clears throat> Here's what's getting good. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens. This was the, the tabernacle there was the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things where God is tonight with better sacrifices than these. Not bullocks, not calves, not goats, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, that tabernacle, which are the figures. The tabernacle is the figure of the true, the one that's in heaven. So when you look at that tabernacle, you're looking at things that are in heaven. Into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, for us. Put that uh, tabernacle back up if you don't care. Here's what happened. This is a picture of what's in heaven. All right. And for you and I to be able to be reconciled, have communion with and be with God. The sacrifice, perfect sacrifice had to be slain to give us act and, and everything through here had to be with blood. And when Jesus put his blood on the mercy seat here, it gave you and I access through his name. And you're not going, I'm not going except through Jesus' name and Jesus' blood. Amen. Anyway, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Verse number 25, yet not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth in the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, look at it, once, that's what got Moses in trouble now. In the end of the world, hath he appeared to do what? Put away sin. How did he put away sin? By the sacrifice of himself. The old song says, could my tears forever flow? Well, listen to me. Could my zeal no languor know? These for sin cannot atone. Thou must save and thou alone. A lot of people think if they cry enough, feel bad enough, feel sorry enough, it'll save them. That that has some merit to acceptance with God. It does not. You can cry a bucket full of tears, die and go to hell. It's the blood of Jesus that saves. It's not, it's, I believe in repentance probably more than any preacher in the country. I believe without repentance, you'll perish. Repentance doesn't save you, but it prepares you to be saved. It's a preparatory work to being born again, and you must have it. And God gives it by his grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that leads you to repentance. The goodness of God leads you. You turn. You, you were going this way in your sin, rejection of Christ, and the Holy Ghost of God did work in your heart, and, you, and he, he, he turns you. He, he gave you a desire and the power to turn and say, you know what? I'm walking away from that life. I'm leaving that life, and I'm going to God. And I'm going through Jesus Christ. Well, uh, this ought to be pretty easy to the, the seventh thing is the sacrifices of the tabernacle. If you put that back up there, guys, uh, the Lamb of God. Jesus was, of course, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Blemish, no spot in him, sinless, innocent, dying for the guilty, our substitute, our blood sacrifice substitute. So he's not just all of those things. I said he is our sacrifice. He's also our high priest. He's everything. And then there's the service for the tabernacle. Uh, the priest were to serve in the tabernacle. Now, I want you to get this tonight. I think it'll help you. 
You got Buddhist priests. You got all kinds of priests in the world. You got Mormon priests and Catholic priests. And priesthood's a big subject. And there is kind of a standard acknowledgement among people who believe in God that they need a mediator, they need a priest. And so Satan tries to send in false priests and a false concept of priesthood. Turn, uh, put up 1 Peter, if you don't care, guys, put up 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2 and verse number 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. He's talking to believers here. When you get saved, the Bible teaches, look at verse number 9. Let's go to verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation of royal priesthood. A holy nation. Now he's Peculiar people, show forth the praise of him, called you out of darkness and marvelous light. In Revelation, it talks about kings and priests. All right, watch this. What were the priests to do? What was their involvement in the tabernacle? All kinds of service. And it was delegated out. And, you know, there was a lot of different stuff and involved a lot of priests. There were, what was there, 24 courses in the temple, I believe? And there was a lot of work to be done. Now, what God is saying, all right, he's saying, Jesus, watch this. This is good. Jesus is that tabernacle. And the priest were to serve in and on and with that tabernacle, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. Get this. Don't ever forget this rest of your life. They weren't serving furniture in the sense of just an object. What's the essence of you serving God? Did you know what a lot of preachers will try to get you to do? Watch this. To serve the church. Sister Connie, friend, are you around here somewhere? Oh, right, there you are. Connie, friend, I should use her for an example. She serves here in church a lot. Okay? Connie, I want to ask you a question. Who are you serving? The Lord. This is the secret to service, and I don't care what you're doing in serving the Lord. <clears throat> unto the Lord and not unto men. I'm going to tell you tonight, I would not be in the pulpit today if I felt like I was serving people. <laughs> I would not be in the pulpit tonight if I thought I was serving the church. The key to you lasting in service is always remembering I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ, not men. Now, that's going to involve serving people, but that's not who the foundation and the basis of my serving is. I'm serving Jesus Christ. Watch this. You're a wife, a mother, and you've got six kids, eight kids, three kids, and you're tired and you're weary and you're sick. And there's, and the secret to it all is ser- who are you serving? I'd say this are you serving your husband? That'll get old after a while. Are you serving your wife and your kids? You may burn out and say, I'm done. They don't appreciate it anyway. People serve the church and they get hurt. I'm done. You know what the problem was? 
we're serving him. And the great secret to the this, this foreshadow of the tabernacle about Jesus Christ is he is the one they were when they were serving the tabernacle, they were serving him. It wasn't about the altar and the labor and all this kind of stuff and the showbread and they were doing all that, but they were serving him. And if you're not serving him, I'll just tell you right now, what do you do for a living? What do you work at? If you don't do if what you're doing in service to him, you're going to burn out. You're going to get sick of it or you're going to. And I don't care if you made five million dollars someday. You'll say, what was it all about? And then you'll puke when you find out your kids hate each other over it. You better be figuring out who you're serving your life to. Part of the lesson of this tabernacle is, is serving him. I am not primarily serving the church. I am primarily serving Jesus Christ. If I keep that straight now. One, a couple of things. We'll move on. The sustenance of the tabernacle. Remember, we're priests, the priest, and I, I won't take you to the scripture tonight, but it gives specific instructions about what the priest could eat from the service of the tabernacle. They brought, by the way, remember Eli and his sons? His sons were wicked, and they were sending these three-pronged hooks in there, and they were pulling out the best meat, and they were threatening people, and they were, they were taking their sustenance from the temple, but doing it in a wicked way. God had given the priest, watch this, the right to have sustenance, and in fact, you take it from this, you take from this, the sustenance of the priest in the tabernacle, you take it to the New Testament, be just the same. The bread and the manna and all that, the priests were to eat and to live off of the tabernacle. You and I are priests. We're to live off of Christ. I'm the bread. He that eats me. He's our sustenance. He's our spiritual food. If we're not feeding on Christ, let me tell you, this, if you're feeding on religion, you're going to choke and croak. <coughs> but if your spirit and your soul and your heart and your mind is fed on Christ, you'll, you'll be strong and healthy spiritually. Well, anyway, last one. How many say amen? Last one. Amen. All righty. The setting of the tabernacle and if there's any, I don't know if any of them is even more important than this in here, the setting of the tabernacle. Where was the tabernacle again? I want to get this here. I want to show you this. If anybody could jump and help me get this thing down. I hate to have that big bang when it comes down. All right. I want to show you this. Now remember that he put that tabernacle right in the center of that camp. This is so important. Now, all right. Let's see if we've learned anything. What is the tabernacle a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ and his incarnation, his coming to earth, becoming man, so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sin and access to God. That tabernacle was to be put in the center of the camp. I'm not going to draw that yet. Everything in these people's lives revolved around the tabernacle. It was the center of their civilization. Now, this is not light. This is big. And nobody moved till it moved. Nobody moved till that cloud moved. It had a cloud, right? 
And that cloud was the glory of God come up out of that holy of holy, most holy place. And until that thing moved, nobody moved. Nobody jumped up and said, you know what? I'm going on down south for a while. Y'all catch up with me later. And Christ, the tabernacle, was in the very center of their lives. And all, watch this, all of their life, everything in their life was centered in Christ. So let's try this tonight. Let's see. Here's Christ. And he's tabernacled in you and I. Okay. I learned a new word here recently. I'm slow. I kept hearing everybody saying, ah, she's a narcissist. Or he's a, is that my saying? Right? He, they're a narcissist. Not arsonist, narcissist. How do you say that? Narcissism. Narcissism. A, a narcissist. Is that how you say it? Well, I'm going to give you the hibbly term for narcissist. A self-centered rothead. Me world. Because I, I asked somebody, I said, what's narcissist mean? They said, he's a narcissist. I said, what's that? Well, that means he's the center of his world. He just thinks everything revolves around him. It's all about me. All right. <clears throat> I said, man, that ain't new. Somebody just coined a new word. I said, he'll be about that a long time ago. Bible people know about this. Here's me. All right. Here's work. Here's fishing. Here's golf. Here's a ball game. Here's a side beside him. <laughs> uh, camping, I guess. Here's a. I want to ask you something. What's your world revolve around? What does your world revolve around? Watch this here. Church. Jesus. This is how most Americans live now. Everything, I'll make sure everybody gets to see that. Everything revolves around me. And the church and Jesus, they're just another one of those things that I do in my life. This is true biblical narcissism. This is the me world. This is the self-love world. The poor me world. You watch this. If you listen to these big TV preachers, this is what they're preaching. It's all about you and your needs and how bad you feel and how discouraged you are. And you just need to pump you up and realize you're the best you still inside just waiting to come out. And if you just had more money, if you just had more this, and if you just had more that, and you send us $1,000, you'll probably get it. They're pl- what, these preachers, they're false prophets, they're playing on this, and they know exactly what those people are. They know why they're sitting in their church. They live in me world. And so they feed their me world. 
So everything revolves around me. Education. Health. It's all about me. How I spend my time. What I'm going to do. It all revolves around me. And this is why America's sick. And I want to tell you what, if, 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 if you want, and I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite, but here's what needs to happen. Christ needs to be the center of our world. And that means his word. And it's the center of our life. And nothing, nothing comes before it. Everything is centered around it and sub- subjected to it. And nothing comes before it. Life is not about me. I was created for his glory. And so now my work and my education and my pleasures and my fun and everything. And if any of this, watch this, if any of this starts to supplant Christ as the center and preeminent, He's to have preeminence in all things. And if he doesn't, can I tell you tonight, your life's messed up. It's going to keep being messed up. That's just fact. I don't care what's near you. When, When Reggie starts living like this, it's a mess. If I keep this up, Lord, I'm going to put you first. Put you center in my life. I'll give you one. I'll, I'll tell you what people, I'm, I've watched this more often make me sick to my stomach. Their children become the center of their life. Everything's about my kids. My kids are my God. Because my kids make me look good. And so they make their children, and so... Jesus, he's off over here somewhere. And the children grow up and they really become this. Me. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When you put anything above Christ in your life, you're asking for it. And I'm going to tell you a little secret about God. He will have no other gods before him. And down in Egypt, he took every, if you read the story of Egypt before the Passover, he destroyed every God they had. How many knows the last God he destroyed? Listen to me. Get this. What was the last God that God destroyed that Pharaoh had? His own son. You better get that. Did you know the worst God that Pharaoh, Egypt had thousands of gods, but the worst God Pharaoh had was his own son. And God said, you don't put anybody before me and you don't put your wife, your children, nobody. If you want to love your family, you want to love your kids, you put Jesus Christ in the center of your life and you teach your kids, you are not more important to me than Jesus Christ is. I love you too much. I'm not going to let you dive off into that slime pit of self-life. Life is not about you, son. Life is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and your relationship to him and your worship of him and your honoring him with your life. And so, anyway, that's it. Anybody got any?
Something you want to say? It's 816. Yes. It's just, that's how Christ didn't sin. We can't do it. But that's how he didn't sin. He focused on his father the whole time. Yep. He said it over and over. The will of my father. I came to do the will of my father. Didn't, it wasn't about him. So anyway, it's good. Anybody else? Yes. According to your board there, the greatest lie and the greatest success Satan has had in America is called the great American dream. That's the lie. Yeah. Your no other name is sweeter than your own name. Huh? No other name is sweeter than your own name. No other name is sweeter than your own name. Maybe more truth and poetry than that. Here's the thing. This lesson on the tabernacle, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The center of our lives needs to be Jesus Christ. Let me say something tonight. The center of this church needs to be Jesus Christ. And if we ever get that messed up and he becomes a side issue here, we are in big, big trouble. Let's stand together.